Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. This is Lee Douglas, and welcome to a very special edition of Old Time Rock and Roll. Tonight, the life and times of Timmy Euro. With me tonight on the phone is my very special guest, the executor to the estate of Timmy Euro, Mike Ianelli. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm ready, Lee. Let's do it. Good, good. All right, well, let me uh, just preface this. This entire show is about Actually, one of my, I guess, crushes when I was back, a little boy, a very little boy, um, I guess, let's see, 1960, I was was a teenager, anyway, young one, and um, I was absolutely phenomenally floored by this young lady. Her name was Timmy Euro, and uh, I followed her career, but like with everybody else, it is very hard living in New York to follow what is not in the mainstream. And all of a sudden, like usually does, Timmy Euro passed into oblivion as far as hit records were concerned. But tonight we're going to hear the entire story of her life, her battles, and her demise, I guess. And we're going to be speaking tonight with Mike Ianelli. And I tried to get some background. And I... Uh, Mike, I'll let you actually um, both tell me what you're doing now. Tell my my listeners what you're doing now, and how you came into the limelight with Timmy Euro. I would be happy to leave. Well, I control the estate of Timmy Euro. Um, I control the rights to all of her music. Um, we've done uh, three. Uh, CD releases now worldwide, um, which we can get into a little bit later that cover, you know, the different spans of her career. Um, I first met Timmy in 1993. I was visiting Las Vegas. Um, That's where Timmy resided for many years. And I was with a friend of mine, and we literally ran into Timmy and her best friend, Isabel, in a grocery store and my friend uh that i was with went to school with isabel's son so you know they struck up a conversation and i kept looking at timmy because even though you know she was older uh she'd had a tracheotomy um several years prior so she had the plastic piece in her neck but her hair was done her makeup was on everything about her was on point and i thought this this lady looks so familiar to me and my uncle, um, Jack Annarelli, had worked on The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, and he took care of Ricky Nelson out on the road. And Timmy and her family owned an Italian restaurant in Hollywood that my uncle used to dine at all the time, and he knew her and her family very well, and he had her record albums. And 
that's where I was recognizing her from, but I didn't put it together at the time. And I kept looking at her and I said, you know, I'm sorry. I said, I don't mean to, to stare at you. And I said, but you look so familiar to me because I was introduced to her, Lee, as Ro. Her birth name was Rosemary Timotea mm-hmm. Euro, and family and friends all called her Ro, short for Rosemary. And, uh, she said, well, I don't think we've ever met before. And I said, no, I said, I don't think we have either. I said, I don't know why you just, you know, look familiar to me for some reason. And the conversation went on and she said, well, I used to be a singer. And I said, really? I'm like, did you have any hits? And she said, yeah, but you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't remember, you know, who I was. She said, my stage name was uh, Timmy Euro. And I immediately said, I'm like, you're the one who sang Hurt, because it was the only thing I knew by her, because my uncle used to play that record all the time, and that Timmy Euro sang Hurt, and when she said that, I immediately knew it, and she about fell out right there that I knew that she sang Hurt, because I was only 19 years old at the time, and she said, baby, how the hell do you know that? And I said, well, I said, I think you knew my uncle. And I told her who my uncle was, and, you know, she grabbed me, and I thought she was going to crush my ribs. She hugged me so hard. And she said, I knew you were Python. And, you know, she wanted to know about my uncle, and, you know, he had recently passed. And mm-hmm. uh, she insisted that my friend Mark and I came, you know, come over for dinner that night to her house. And you didn't say no to Timmy Euro. You know, if, if she wanted you to come for dinner, you went for dinner. And uh, so we went over to her house later that night. And I'll never forget walking in. There was a wall in her house that she had all of her gold records on. And not being real familiar with her career, other than the song Hurt, I was, you know, looking and I saw that, you know, she had done an album with Quincy Jones and, you know, a single with Burt Backrack. And I'm thinking, this, this woman was really somebody you know, back in her day. And mm-hmm. we had a lovely evening and, you know, a great dinner. And I got to know her personally and I absolutely fell in love with her. She was, you know, such a nice lady, a very funny lady. And I just wanted to know more about her career. I was just, you know, naturally curious. And when I started, you know, getting some of her music and she let me listen to a few things, I was blown away by her. I'd never heard a voice like hers before. I mean, it was so powerful and, so commanding and such a signature voice because no one else you know ever sounded like her it just that's that's where our friendship began and it lasted until she passed away in 2004 so that's the brief the 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 brief cliff notes version of the day that i met timmy (laughs) euro wow that that is something uh i you know I, i don't know really this but you are involved now in the music business anyway. Yes. Actually, um, a few years ago, um, I was asked to do uh, an interview about uh, Timmy on uh, one of the oldie stations. And Les Reed, who uh, did an album with Timmy in 1968 uh, called Something Bad on My Mind, was going to be part of the interview as well. And Les of course, is one of the most prolific, you know, songwriters of the 60s. He wrote most of Tom Jones' hits, you know, Delilah, It's Not Unusual, Kiss Me Goodbye for Petula Clark. And uh, he wrote a couple of songs on the album that he did with Timmy. And uh, we were talking uh, before the show, and I said, you know, Les, I said, I have all these unreleased recordings of Timmy that she did, you know, when she was between record labels. I said, I have early recordings of her when she was a child and singing opera. And I said, I have, you know, all the stuff from the 70s and the 80s. And he said, well, let me contact Cherry Red Records 
tomorrow. He said, I, you know, I, I know all those guys there. And he said, you know, their, their sister label RPM did a bunch of releases of Timmy's music while she was still alive, which was true. And, uh, I said, okay, great. So the next day, sure enough, I get an email from John Reed at RPM records and he wanted to hear a few of the songs that I had, uh, just as examples of, you know, some of this unreleased, unheard of material. So I sent, you know, some over to them. And within a half an hour, I had a 10-page, five-year contract from Cherry Red Records to produce and do releases of Timmy Euro's music. So I'm three years into that contract almost at this point. And wow. we've done... I've done two releases with Cherry Red um, up to this point, hoping to do um, a third here maybe in the rest of this year, the first part of next year. Oh, so, wow. yeah, things things changed uh, drastically. The first CD we did we, was called I'm a Star Now, and it was all unreleased stuff. There were some demos. Um, there was some recordings. A lot of it was from acetates. There was no tapes that existed anymore or master tapes of this stuff. We had master tapes on some of the later stuff. And right. they put it in the studio and remixed it and made it sound ten times better than what it was. It wasn't exactly perfect, but, you know, for historical purposes, we, we, we decided on 25 tracks that we thought we should release on it. And uh, about three weeks after it came out in November of 2014, um, I got a call from my record company about six o'clock in the morning because they're in London. And of course, you know, we're five hours, you know, uh, behind here. So it was early. It was, you know, later for them. And John asked me, he says, Hey, you know, have you looked at iTunes? And I said, it's six o'clock in the morning, John, why would I look at iTunes? He says, well, you better get up and look because your album's number 37 on the charts. And that blew my mind that a singer from her era you know, releasing all this unreleased stuff and she has such a cult following over in the UK and they did promote it properly that I would actually produce an album that that charted to number 37 in, in iTunes. It was just incredible and it kind of blew the door wide open. Um, you know, we started, part of my contract was to start an official fan page for Timmy on Facebook and we have like over 4,000 people worldwide um, on that fan page currently. Um she has a huge following, like I said, in the UK and Holland, um, Amsterdam, here in the US. I get emails every week from people who continue to discover her music. And it's just, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. Um, of course, last year, we had um, a big surprise when uh, pop star Duffy ended up playing to me in the movie Legend, which was about the Cray brothers, who were, you know, notorious gangsters over in... Mm -hmm. uh, London, Reggie Cray. Timmy was Reggie Cray's favorite singer. And they owned um, nightclubs over there. And, you know, she used to perform in the UK, you know, every year she went over there. And uh, because that, you know, she was Reggie's favorite singer, um, they cast Duffy and she played Timmy Euro in the movie and some of the nightclub scenes and sang, you know, two of Timmy's songs. So, mm -hmm. it, it, so many things have happened over the last few years that, you know, we're keeping her music and her memory alive, and that's, like, so important to me. Wow. That is something. Before we go on, I have to, I, anytime anybody brings up the way people in Europe revere our artists, mm -hmm. uh, I, it, it bothers me only because we're these people are forgotten in our own country. Yeah, and I agree. With really you. bothers yes. me. I mean, I just, I just had, I've been, I've been holding on to it. I just got a, an album 
that Jack Scott, I don't even know if you know Jack Scott. Yes, I am. Um, what in the world's come over you? Yes, I know yeah, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he produced his first album in 50 years, mm-hmm. and he had to go all the way to Finland to record it because he is big over there. I mean, this is insane. The UK, Finland, Netherlands, they're crazy for our, our singers over there, and they still revere them today, and I think it's a shame. That's what's wrong it, with our music. Yeah, it, it, it really is, and I tell you, um, the last project, uh, CD project we did, which I released uh, last November, November 2015, we finally got the Something Bad on My Mind album, out on CD, the one that Les Reed did with Timmy, and mm-hmm. we did that on Cherry Red's Morello label, and that label is famous for putting albums, two albums on one CD that have, have never you know been on CD before, and uh, you know, um, Lee Simmons, who runs that label, he said, well, Mike, what do you want to do for the second album? I said, I don't want to do anything for a second album. I said, I want to get all the unreleased masters from her Liberty, her time at Liberty Records. I want to get those out of the vaults. And I had to fight with Universal Music, Lee, for a good year to get that project done. I think they were so sick of me. The guy that, that the licensing agent that I dealt dealt with ended up quitting after that project was over. I mean, I don't think that I, I like to say that, well, I gave him a nervous breakdown and he had to leave because I was relentless about it. I wasn't um, going to back down. I, and Lee's like, well, maybe we should, you know, go with something else. And I said, Lee, this is going to be our only chance to ever get these out of the vaults and get them remastered. I said, the fans want to hear things they haven't heard before. You know, not another compilation of mm-hmm. things that have been released time and time again um, on CD where it's just, you know, a mixture of hits and a few album tracks here and there. I wanted to get the stuff out there that had not ever been out there. And we were able to do that. I was able to get 12 um, of unreleased songs from her Liberty days between 1960 and 1963 um, out of the vaults for the very uh, first time. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I sent you one of the tracks. Uh, off uh, of that. Oh, well, I would love you to send me more. I'll tell you the truth. But why, you see, this, this is what gets me. Why would they give you a hard time when they have no intention of ever releasing it? Just well, to keep just, it there. And that's it just it. Right. Um, right. And that's just it, Lee. I mean, that's, you know, what I told them. They, you know, EMI and Capital owns her Liberty and Mercury tracks. Mm-hmm. And Universal, you know, ended up buying them out. Uh, the first CD project I ever worked on was uh, the Complete Liberty Singles, which mm-hmm. we got out at the tail end before EMI sold out to Universal. So... I, there was a couple masters missing. Luckily, I had the acetates, and I had copies of songs that they needed to even pull that project off so it could be the complete Liberty Singles. So I knew what I was kind of dealing with as far as what was in the archive. But once Universal took over, you know, that was in 2012, and here we were in 2015 wanting to put the seed. In three years, they had not released anything of her music. They had no idea what was even in uh, the vault, and that's what I kept you know, telling them, they're like, well, we have to clear this stuff. And, you know, at first it was yes, and then it would be no, then it was yes, then it would be no. And I was ready to throw in the towel at one point, and I thought, no, don't give up. Timmy would have given up. She was a fighter. And uh, I just kept persisting until we finally got, you know, yes. And as a matter of fact, I have a great relationship with Universal Music now. Um, I was even able to get a few more masters out of 
um, their vaults that they gave me uh, that we didn't use on the CD. Uh, so, you know, they, they've been very kind, and, and we have a good working relationship now, but um, they had no intention of ever doing anything with her music. So now I'm, I'm working with them to try to get a lot of the unreleased stuff from her Mercury years out of the vaults, or at least get me the song so I can do something with them, you know. But it's a fight. I mean, it's all about money. If they don't, if they think they're not going to make money on an artist, and Lee, the one thing that, that I ran into that, that bothers me, as I'm sure it bothers you as well, as we've been having this conversation, these record companies, like Universal, which is the largest you know music company in the world now, they think that there are there is no other fan base outside of Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And that's mm-hmm. simply not true. You know, people have favorites. You know, people love Ricky Nelson. They love Dion DiMucci. They love Timmy Euro. They love Connie Francis. They want stuff on CD. They want stuff that is unreleased that they haven't heard before. And the fact that a lot of these artists' master tapes are just sitting on a shelf collecting dust for 50 years is absolutely ridiculous. Sure. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm... I'm trying to dust off Timmy's and get as much out to the fans as I possibly can over the next few years. Well, I do want to tell you, I, I, I know you sent me a couple of things, and I want you to realize that this is going to be, when we finish, hopefully, a two-hour show. So I may Great. need more material, and I, I, if you could get me something that she did early, Early, even before she hit Liberty Records, because you said you have some. Yes, I do. Okay. I would love to start the show when we go into her life, start out with some stuff that really is uh, really unusual, because I've done that. That's what I do. Uh, I'm, I'm not just one of those people. You know, I, the show is named Old Time Rock and Roll. We go 50s to mid-70s. Right. I have played songs as far back as, I believe, 1918, when I uncovered wow. the song, the original C.C. Ryder. And uh, right. so I'll play it if, it if it's historically necessary. I will play it. And they're really uh, well-received. So this would be, you know, just icing on the cake, so to speak. Now, well, I, I know there, there's a song that you might be interested in hearing. Do you remember the song, um, I Love You With All My Heart? I think Jody Sands is the one that had to hit yes. with that. Yes. Well, I have Timmy singing that song from 1956. Her uh, voice teacher, Dr. Lillian Goodman, who was the voice teacher to the stars in Hollywood back in the day, is at piano, and it's an acetate. And she's playing the piano, and Timmy is singing that song at the age of about 16 years old, 15, 16 years old.
place and let's have some entertainment, you know, on the weekends. And, you know, her dad, uh, Louie, he was just, he was dead set against it, but eventually gave in. And she sang there, a lot of people sang there. But when Timmy would sing, everyone stopped that in their tracks. You know, she'd be working back in the kitchen making pizzas. They call her up to the stage. She would come out and start, you know, belting out some song and just blow everyone away. So uh, one night in 1959, um, Sonny Knight, I believe he was the one that had the hit with Confidential in 1966. Yes. Okay, so I'm correct about that. Um, I get him mixed up sometimes with, with another artist, but he was... Well, now, I, I will with, tell you something, Mike. Uh, actually, Confidential was not a hit until 1973. Now, here's the, here's the rub. It was, uh, it was uh, an R&B hit in 1956. Okay. okay. In 1973, they put out an album called Oldies But Goodies. And it was one of the, it was, it was the first track on the album was Confidential. And that's when it became a hit. Confidential as a church of twilight. Sentimental as a rose and moonlight. My love for you will always be Confidential to me Confidential as a mother's prayer Too beautiful for other eyes to share my love for you will always be confidential to me. Our love's a precious secret, a beautiful thing apart. There is no need for prying eyes to look into my heart. Confidential as a baby's cry, secret and moving as a love aside. My love for you will always be confidential to me. Confidential as a baby's cry, sacred and moving as a love aside. My love for you will always be confidential to me. Well, I knew he he had sang the song, and that was really the only song he was known for. And so right. by 1959, he was working as a talent scout for Liberty Records. And he 
you know, Amaternos became a really big hotspot in Hollywood, um, especially on the weekends, you know, for the kids and, you know, some of the people in their early 20s into the, you know, the rock and roll scene. And people would come there to hear Timmy Euro sing. And uh, he went in there and heard her and heard a guy by the name of Troy Walker. They were singing some duets, and Timmy was singing on her own, and he signed them both right away to Liberty Records. And when Timmy first started with Liberty, they were giving her, you know, demo after demo to record, and it was all kind of this lightweight bubblegum fluff, but it was just demo records they were giving her. And she couldn't understand why, you know, they weren't really doing anything with her. And Troy Walker, who they had also signed, uh, was very openly gay, which, you know, back in 1959 was not a good thing in the music industry or anything else. And because she was kind of tied to him and Liberty kind of took it that they were going to kind of be duet partners, they really didn't want to do anything with either one of them. It's summertime Living is easy Fish are jumping She's a looker Hush, little baby No, no, don't you cry mm, One of these mornings You're gonna rise up singing Wow, you're gonna spread your wings You're gonna fly oh, But till that finally gave Timmy a recording session in uh, 1960. She recorded four or five songs. Um, 
she recorded You're Breaking My Heart, um, That's Amore, a song called Afraid of Tomorrow. And we're going to play that unreleased single right now. I am afraid of tomorrow Cause tomorrow you'll be gone All my dreams will be sorrow Where comes the dawn I don't want your love to borrow an hour or a day Because I know that tomorrow When you're away I said Dark clouds will thunder My heart will wonder Beating like a thousand drums Dreams that I borrow fade tomorrow. The evening caresses the sun. I'll be wanting you forever, more than you will ever know. I'm afraid of tomorrow because I'll miss you so. They didn't release anything from these sessions. And, you know, she had this great big booming voice and she was getting frustrated. So in the meantime, between all of this, she had been in a relationship with a singer named Larry Bright. Larry had had some minor hits in the Texas and Southern California area. Uh, we were able to find one. So you're going to hear it for the first time on Old Time Rock and Roll. Larry Bright. Let's 
she had been dating him for a long time, and she said, you know, he was really, really a fantastic singer. But she had caught him with another woman, and she, you know, was really upset. And her friend Raul, who worked in the restaurant with her, they were listening to records one night. You know, they lived, you know, above the restaurant at the time. And uh, they were listening to her mother Edith's record, and she had a 78 of the song Hurt by Roy Hamilton, who had recorded the song in 1954, I believe. He was the first to ever record that song. gotten to know his secretary very well and she knew when Al was in his office and when he wasn't so she stormed into Al Bennett's office one day at Liberty Records and he said well who are you and she said well I'm not surprised you don't know who I am she said I'm Timmy Euro she said I've been on your record label for almost two years and you refuse to release anything I've recorded and he says well what do you want to record and she said without thinking she just started singing Hurt acapella and Al Bennett was like blown away and I don't think he'd ever heard anything she had recorded prior, you know, being on the label. 
And he had her in the recording studio within 24 hours, and they laid down the tracks for Hurt, and I apologize. Goodbye. I'm sorry from the bottom of, of my heart. I apologize if I caused you pain. I know. I'm to blame. I must have been insane. Come on, forgive me from the bottom of my broken heart. I apologize. I 
been unfair to you. Please let me make, make amends. Don't say that you forgot the love we knew. After all, we were more than just friends. Now, if I made you blue. I've had some heartaches too. I beg of you. Come on, forgive me from the bottom oh, of my heart right now. I have got to. Timmy was, you know, 
still doing her song, and he walked a circle around her. She finished the song, was slightly annoyed by Frank, and she looked at him and she goes, what's your problem, man? And Frank looked at her, and he says, nothing. He said, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell you're plugged into. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so and they, they both had a big laugh out of that. But here, in 1961, where she finally got somewhere, it was just, you know, a whirlwind, and it changed everything, you know, in her life. And, uh, you know, then it was just, you know, she went on to make uh, a follow-up album, that uh, was called Soul. That was her second album on Liberty Records, and it was there really wasn't anything soulful about it. It was you know just an album of, of old standards, which Lee, I'm sure you know, a lot of the female singers back in the day got kind yes. of pigeonholed doing these standards, and you know the singles sold the money back then, and the albums didn't. You know, they made money on the single. So the rock and roll songs were kind of reserved for the 45s. And they might release an album that really had nothing to do with anything. And it kind of went unheard of. Um, so her third album was Let Me Call You Sweetheart, which she did on the Ed Sullivan show. She appeared on Ed Sullivan twice uh, in early 1962. And uh, it, it had some more soulful tracks on it, some more stuff, you know, that she wanted to do. There was... Um, she Really Loves You, which uh, Timmy co-wrote, I believe, with Cly Otis. Was, uh, her producer was the other writer of that. And uh, All My Love Belongs to You. And then, you know, there were some standards thrown in. Uh, but it still wasn't exactly, you know, where she wanted to be. She needed that next big hit. So she got the song What's the Matter, Baby. And the song was originally written as a bluesy-type, Laverne Baker-style ballad. But when Timmy saw it and, you know, read the lyrics and went over the music, she heard it in her head as an up-tempo number. And that's how they did it. And they they recorded it. Her and Clyde Otis recorded What's the Matter, Baby. And they took it to Al Bennett at Liberty Records. And Al Bennett thought it was no good. It, it was a piece of crap. It It would never sell. And Timmy knew better. So Timmy had a bunch of acetates made and started sending them out to radio stations all over the country. And Al Bennett got all these phone calls coming in one day wanting to know when this record was coming out because they were getting requests to play it, you know, on the air all the time. And he called and ordered uh, 500,000 copies pressed of that song immediately. So that was her next big hit, What's the Matter, Baby? It went to number 12 in 1962. Um, the album of the same title came out. It was very successful. Um, it was the album that she always wanted to do. It was half of tempo numbers and then half ballads. And it was more in the R&B, uh, you know, rock and roll vein. And uh, unfortunately... Clyde Otis walked out at the tail end of those sessions at Liberty Records, and Timmy lost the producer that she really, really loved. And after that, she was kind of thrown around from this person to that person, and she felt that you know Clyde, you know, was the only one who ever really truly knew how to work with her and you know get the best out of her. But Phil Spector came in and put his wall of sound on the "What's the Matter, Baby" track, and. Timmy and Phil went to high school together. Um, they were in the same graduating class um, at Fairfax High School. And Marshall Lieb, who was also on the Teddy Bears with, with Phil mm-hmm. Spector and, and Carol Connors, they were all in the same class. Marshall was Timmy's sound engineer um, 
many, many times over the years and still wanted to do an album with Timmy. But he wanted her to do like the Ronettes type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't where it was at for her. And she really didn't want to work with Bill. Um, You know, she said he was one odd duck even back then. And she knew his (laughs) temperament and how bad he treated, you know, Marshall and Carol. And she said, you know, we would have been in a recording studio five minutes and one of of us would have ended up dead. You know, so she said, I just knew that that would never, never work. Um, But he did put... um, the finishing touches on the What's the Matter Baby track. There's been much speculation about that over the years, and yes, it is true. He did do the final mixing of that song. up to 1962 what's the matter baby uh, that you know went you know number 12 on the hot 100 for timmy and clyde otis her producer left because political differences with uh liberty records and again very uh, very normal to the day very normal to the day and so they kind of they kind of shifted her around they wanted her to work with uh snuff garrett and you know snuff produced you know bobby v and, you know, Timmy was very good friends with Bobby V. She adored Bobby. But 
I guess Snuff wanted her to record like the answer to Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen, and you know, Timmy's like, I'm, I'm the girl who sang Hurt. You know, I can't do those kind of songs. And Al Bennett was actually, you know, as much as he would argue with her sometimes about, I don't want you to do this, this or this, or I think this is a piece of crap. You know, she would prove him wrong, like she did with What's the Matter, Baby. And he was very supportive of her and got behind her, you know. And he's like, you know, Timmy, you don't have to work with anybody you want to work with. But she did end up working um, with Burt Bacharach, um, you know, very early on in his career. And they cut uh, two songs, The Love of a Boy and uh, If I Never Get to Love You.
difference you made. The love of a boy can change a girl into a woman. One caress, your tenderness made me a woman, made me a woman, faithful and true. Love burning deep in my heart and soul, and it's only for you. My
enough to climb. Hank Cochran 
and she was the first to record the song Make the World Go Away and have the hit with it. So her next big hit um, was Make the World Go Away in 1963, and she did an album with the same title. She recorded a few songs uh, that uh, Willie had written for her, um, included two of those on the album, and uh, it, it was number 24 on the Hot 100, and I believe it made it to number 17 in Cashbox. So she was the first to, to record that song and have to hit. And a lot of people don't know that. They think Eddie Arnold was, you know, the only one that had to hit with, with Make the World Go Away, and it's not true. Make the world go away. Oh, yes, get it off, off of my shoulders. When you loved me Before the world Took me astray Well if you do Then forgive me And make the world Make it go away Go away Now I'm sorry If I hurt you Let me make it up Day by day Just say you love me Like you used to And make the world Make it go away So that was, you know, a big, big to-do for her that year in releasing that album, which which did moderately well. But she was miserable at Liberty Records. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, Good I point. can actually give you give you a brief story behind that too. She was she yeah, went sure. left Nashville. Well, when she went to Nashville to meet with Hank Cochran, um, you know, to get some songs of, of his, it was the weekend that Patsy Cline was killed in the plane mm-hmm. crash. Hank Cochran, um, who I became friends with, you know. Over the years, Hank, of course, has, has passed away. But uh, Hank was going to go 
over to that benefit show with Patsy Klein and Randy Hughes and Hawkshaw Hawkins and Cowboy Copas, um, he was going to fly in the plane with one of my, I don't think um, Hawkshaw was originally supposed to go, but because Timmy was coming to town, Hank stayed behind. So, you know, they got signed. Timmy knew Patsy through Willie Nelson and was friends with her. So she, you know, got back to Hollywood with all the songs and then, you know, got the news at Patsy and then had been killed in the plane crash. Mm-hmm. But she went in the studio and recorded Make the World Go Away. And she was so excited about that. She said it was the hardest song she ever recorded in her entire career because of how you have to go way up and then, you know, come way back down. She called Hank Cochran and Ray Price was, was there at Hank Cochran's house. When she called, she wanted to play him the recordings. They had just gotten out of the studio. And, you know, they they both, you know, loved it. And Ray Price, you know, while they were all on the phone, Ray said, well, he said, would you mind if I recorded the song to me, you know, for the country charts, since you're obviously probably going to have a hit with this on the pop charts. So Timmy recorded it first, had the hit. Ray recorded it. I don't think Ray had a very big hit with it on the country charts. I mean, it was in yeah. 1966, I believe, is when Eddie Arnold, mm-hmm. you know, hit, I think, the country and the pop charts with the song um, in a very big way. So, yeah, Timmy was the first recorded. Now, I have to tell it's you... It's a fantastic this, album. Yeah. I have to tell you that one of my favorite recordings was Are You Lonesome Tonight? Mm-hmm. And I bring that up only because I, I, I just love to play that song. I mean, Elvis had a great version, but I, the the tear that I heard in Timmy's voice with that was, was incredible. It yeah, was she actually recorded that. Um, it was in... Uh, it was either in 1979 or 1982. It was on one of the. Well, she had a, she had a huge comeback over in Europe, um, right? Which we'll get to um, later. And she, you know, recorded uh, about four more albums uh, before her voice was was silenced because of the complications with cancer. But um, yeah, she well, she loved El- Elvis actually. Timmy was his favorite female singer. If he was around he would buy out the entire front row for him and his entourage if she was playing anywhere he was near. And uh, anytime he was in Hollywood, he would get a pizza all the time from Timmy's mother. He would call an order from the restaurant. Elvis swore it was the best pizza, best pizza in Hollywood. So, you know, and when his record collection was released, uh, probably, what, over 10 years ago now from Graceland, there was very few female artists in his personal record collection, but Timmy's albums were in his record collection. Hmm. Wow. So he had a great, you know, and of course, you know, later we'll talk about it. He ended up recording Hurt um, on what was to be his last album. But they had a friendship, you know, over the years, and, and he, he dearly loved it. Are you Miss me tonight Are you sorry We drifted apart Does your memory stray To a bright summer day When I kissed you And called you sweetheart 
do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare? Do you gaze at your doorstep and picture me there? Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome tonight? I wonder if you're lonesome tonight. You know. Someone said that the whole world is a stage, and each one of us has to play a part. Fate had me playing; he had me playing in love with you. You were my sweetheart. Act one was where we met, and I loved you. I loved you at first glance, and oh Lord, you read your lines so cleverly. You never missed a cue, and then came Act Two. You seemed to change. You really acted strange. And why? And why I've never known. Honey, honey, you lied to me. You lied to me when you said you loved me, and I had no cause to doubt you. But I'd rather go on hearing your lies than to go on living without you. Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome too? Never, 
Timmy was loved by every. I mean, you know, I've talked to Bobby V and you know Dion DeMucci and who toured the UK with her in 1963. I was fortunate enough to talk with Leslie Gore um, before she passed away, and she was on that tour of the UK as well. And and several of the people, Bobby Rydell, you know, that knew her. I have old pictures from teen magazines with, with Timmy and Bobby Rydell. And mm-hmm. she seemed to be very loved by all of her her peers in, in the business and admired, you know, uh, from all the stories that I've been told by so many artists, even some, you know, from the, the, the groups like the Cleftones and, and the Duprees that she worked with. And, you know, it's just amazing the stories I've been able to hear from, you know, some of the other artists that, that actually worked with her. But um, by the end of 63, she'd had it with Liberty Records. Uh, there were so many political things going on. She was playing Vegas, Lee, and ended up deathly ill and in the hospital in a coma. As a matter of fact, oh. she had such high fever. And her manager at the time, um, unbeknownst to anybody, called Al Bennett at Liberty Records and said that, you know, he needed, an, you know, this advance on her royalties because, you know, these hospital bills, she was in bad shape. They weren't expecting her to live. They needed the money. And, you know, Al Bennett didn't think anything about it. He got this big check to this guy, and her manager took off with the money, never to be heard from again. Unfortunately, another very big part of what happened in the 1950s and 60s with managers and the younger singers. Exactly. So after that happened, she she was just so, you know, she had all this money. She wanted out of her contract with uh, Liberty. And she actually borrowed some money from Bobby Darren to get out of her contract at Liberty because Irving Green at Mercury had offered her a contract and really wanted to, to work with her, you know, uh, really bad. And uh, so she got out of Liberty and went to Mercury and Irving Green, unfortunately, fell ill once she got to Mercury. And Quincy Jones was producing her album, and Bobby Scott was uh, the sound engineer. Bobby wrote, you know, a few of the songs on uh, the album she did at Mercury called The Amazing Kimmy Euro. And they released the first single off of that at Mercury. And Liberty took one of her, a couple of her songs, and put on 45 um, and released it at the same time. And they ended up in this court battle which Timmy won. Uh, I have all the clippings from, from this time wow. in court that he was fighting back and forth between Mercury and Liberty. Hmm. But um, she enjoyed working with Quincy Jones, but Quincy, when Irving Green, who was president of Mercury Records, got sick, Quincy had to step in as president. So he was also producing the album, but, you know, Timmy kind of got left in the dust because, you know, Quincy had, you know, all these responsibilities put on him with Irving falling ill. They, they did little promotion, and it was the, her favorite album of all the albums that she ever recorded was that one at Liberty. Um, it was a very classy album. Uh, one of her favorite songs on it was a song called Johnny, and it was uh, you know full orchestra. They did every song on that album in one take except for one track. And she said, you know, that that Bobby Scott really made her sing her tail off. And vocally, she was really at her prime, you know, when she recorded that album. So it saw very little, you know, commercial success. It it didn't even chart. None of the singles charted. Um, She did a string of singles on Mercury from uh, 1964 to 1967. And her last charting single on the U.S. Hot 100 was in 1965 with a song called You Can Have Him. 
You can have him. I don't want him. He didn't love me anyway. He only wanted someone to play with. All I wanted was love to stay. Well, if you if you get the wrong man, there's only one thing that you can do. Jump right in it and pull the ground right over you. You can have him. I gotta want him. He didn't love me anyway. Yeah, he gonna What's interesting to me is that both her first record that hit the charts and her last record to hit the charts were both done originally by Roy Hamilton. She recorded a couple songs, uh, Why Am I Treated So Bad, and a song called Gone, and she dropped it on Al Bennett, um, who had returned to Liberty Records. He had left in some of the turmoil and then came back, you know, to Liberty records. And so she just wanted to see him and she wanted to play him, you know, these songs that she had recorded on her own and, uh, Marshall lights from, you know, the teddy bears that she went to high school with was the sound engineer on those. And, uh, Al really liked him. And he said, I want to bring you back to Liberty. So he resigned her. And that's how she ended up going to the UK and, uh, recording, uh, the something bad on my mind album. Uh, with Les Reed, he wrote the title track and he wrote another track on the album and uh, they recorded the song Interlude 
which uh, was the title of a motion picture um, that came out later that year. And, you know, Timmy sang the, the title track of that in the movie. It was the second song of hers that had been in a movie. She had had one uh, called Satan Never Sleeps in 1962, which was a William Holden flick. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had sang the, the title track for that. So this was the second, you know, movie title that she had sang. And that was included on the Something Bad on My Mind album. And it was uh, a completely different sound for her. She was a little nervous about it. Uh, she wasn't sure about some of the material. And when she started working with Les Reed, you know, she was quickly, all her mind was put at ease um, in the direction, you know, that they were going with the album. And uh, after it was all finished, she, you know, she, she flew Clyde Otis out to Hollywood because he was, uh, I believe, in Nashville by that time because she was so excited about what she had just recorded. She wanted Clyde's opinion, you know, and he thought, you know, the material was excellent. So she handed the tapes to Marshall and Marshall, unfortunately ended up doing something in the mixing where her voice got a little bit buried behind Mm -hmm. the music. So when the album came out, she was so disappointed uh, because that wasn't the final mix.
album, but yet the album was still fantastic, and it's like a fan favorite. So um, it just kind of ruined it for her, and Liberty really did nothing to promote it. So there was no hits off of that album. There were a couple singles released. Um, and, you know, she went about her business. She was still doing tours. And in 1969, she played PJ's Nightclub in Hollywood where she appeared um, and they recorded everything live for a week. They were going to do a live album, Timmy Euro Live at PJ's. And for some reason, the album was withdrawn. And at that point in time, by, you know, mid-69, she had just become really disenchanted with the business. She wanted to get married. Music had also changed. Yeah, it it also changed, right? And, you know, she was one of the people that was, you know, before the British invasion. And, you know, even Elvis had a hard time coming up with a hit after the British invasion hit. So, you know, singers like Timmy, who had been gone from the charts since 1965, you know, really didn't have a good time of it. So she ended up leaving the business for a while. She got married, and uh, she would record some stuff here and there. You know, friends would call, you know, would you come to the studio? You know, she would record some stuff independently. And, you know, she had her her only child, her daughter, Milan, um, in 1971. And she was eight months pregnant when she played one of the first rock and roll revival shows at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I was there. Yeah, Little Richard was on was on that bill and uh yep. you know she she loved seeing him but she was eight months pregnant and performed with Milan. But you know, even in the seventies she never quite got the music business out of her system because she still wanted to sing, you know, music was her passion. And she signed with Playboy Records uh briefly in nineteen seventy five. There was one single release on Playboy that she wasn't very happy with the A side. The B side was the song that she wrote. Uh, called Loving You Was All I Ever Had, which she really loved. But, you know, nothing really came of that. So, you know, like I said, she recorded some stuff on her own through the 70s. And one day in 1979, she gets a phone call from a record executive over in Holland. And they wanted to fly her to Nashville and have her record an album of cover songs from the 50s and 60s and they wanted her to re-record Hurt and What's the Matter, Baby, and make the world go away. And at first she thought they were kind of nuts because she thought, well, if they don't know who I am, why would they want me to sing these other people's songs? But she had no idea how huge she had been over in Holland and Amsterdam and the Netherlands. You know, all those years when she was on Liberty, she sold a bunch of records there, and then it kind of came back to her that, you know, she's like, well, I do remember that I've seen on my royalty statements, you know, that I, I sold a lot of records there. So she hesitated for a minute, and she agreed to it. So, you know, they signed a contract. She flew to Nashville. Uh, she recorded um, several tracks. Um, the album would be called All Alone Am I, which was the Brenda Lee song. Mm-hmm. And by the end of these recording sessions, she was starting to have problems with her voice. She couldn't figure out what it was. Went to the doctor. They found, you know, tumors in her throat, around her vocal cords. She was diagnosed with throat cancer. So she immediately called Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra had her flown to New York City to the best oncologist at the time uh, for treatment. And she was told that she would never talk again let alone sing by the time they did the surgery and the treatment that she was going to need. 
So in the meantime, over in Holland and the Netherlands, that area, they released the single, All Alone of Mine, and it went to number one over there. All alone am I Ever since your goodbye All alone with just the beat of my heart People all around But I don't hear a sound Just the lonely beating of my
three more albums after that. Um, the last album being uh, an album called Today, which was later repackaged and retitled Timmy Euro Sings the Songs of Willie Nelson. Her very last album, she was having a hard time coming up with funding for, and she had, uh, went to see uh, Willie Nelson. He was appearing in Vegas, and he says, well, why don't you fly down to my studio in Austin? He said, we'll use my band. And he said, you know, we'll record, you know, a bunch of songs. We record some of the ones you did in the 60s. And uh, that's what they did. They did two duets together. And uh, at the end of the sessions and the week that she stayed at Willie's, he handed her the master tapes. And he said, these are yours, free and clear. He said, when I was penniless and had nothing, he's like, you recorded my songs. You put me up for three weeks. You fed me three meals every day. This is my payback to you for the help that you gave me all those years ago. So, you know, like I said, they used his band, his studio, and Willie didn't take a penny from Timmy for those, you know, recordings. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, what? A, and he's such a great guy anyway. And, uh, you know, she was so touched by that. And that was her last album because, unfortunately, uh, she she continued to perform um, up until 1985, and she had to have an emergency tracheotomy because of complications of uh, the cancer, and that ended her singing career. Mm. And, uh, you know, she went into kind of a depression for a while, and uh, she, you know, repackaged that, that album, Timmy Euro Sings, Willie Nelson, in 1989. They went to the studio, did some remixing of some other songs that she had recorded, um, they put, you know, put on his bonus tracks and, you know, they released a CD and it was the last thing she was really able ever, to, you know, to give her fans. Um, and of course, you know, as the nineties came, she had more health problems, you know, she lost, you know, part of a lung and, uh, eventually lost her vocal cords. And the only way she could communicate was by written word. It was, it Did she was smoke? You know, yes, she smoked. Um, yeah. she was, a fairly heavy smoker. Um, and, she, you know, she just couldn't put them down. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, unfortunately, um, the cancer returned uh, viciously in 2003. And uh, she died, it went to her brain. And she died on March 30th, 2004, at the age of 63. And it was so sad, Lee, because yeah. she was. Such and she handled her the illness and, and the loss of her voice with such grace and, and dignity, and I know that it bothered her more than what you know she let on that it did. But she went out of her way to do so many things for so many people, and she communicated with fans who would write her, you know, right up until she no longer could anymore. You know, she was so loyal to people who had been with her all these years, and. And, you know, she would try to do what she could, even though she couldn't perform anymore. And uh, because of all her medical expenses, I mean, you know, Bobby Rydell and Ronnie Spector and a bunch of artists got together and they did a benefit for her. Um, It was in 2001 or 2002 and uh, in New York City. And she was able to travel and go there, uh, which was really nice. And to see a lot of, you know, her old friends from the business that she hadn't seen for so many years because she didn't appear publicly very much. Because of the the tracheotomy, she would have terrible coughing fits. And she was real, you know, self-conscious about that. She didn't want to be out in public and, 
you know, with other celebrities and, you know, get one of these fits where she couldn't breathe and she was coughing all over everybody. So, you know, she didn't make any public appearances. You know, a lot of people always wondered, you know, well, you know, does she live in seclusion? You know, what's going on with her? But, um, you know, she was cleaning houses and cleaning a salon towards the end of her life just to make ends meet because of all of her medical expenses. And here was a woman that had all these gold records on her wall and financially really didn't have much. And she had done so much to help other people. It was it was just really kind of a sad ending week, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it. But, uh, again, it's... There are never, you know, if if we could make a, a movie out of every the every um, artist that, that ended up that way in in Jackie Wilson and um, just so many of right. them, it, it's it, you know it is more unbelievable than you can imagine. But now yeah. we're going to get to the part that that I know is is so dear to your heart, and you are trying, if if I'm getting this right, to have a star. Put in the the Hollywood Hall, Walk of Fame. Is that correct? That's correct. We are. We have a, a campaign on GoFundMe. Um, we're trying to raise the money, um, half the money. I'm going to put up the other half, but it's it's very expensive to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and unfortunately, you have to pay for it, you know, yourself or raise the money to do it. But because of um, her her parents' business being in Hollywood all those years and kind of being a hot spot um, because she did chart enough records on the Hot 100 and because she has been portrayed in a movie, she qualifies to be on um, the Walk of Fame. So we're trying to uh, raise the money, you know, to get her that that honor because she certainly deserves it. I mean, there's a lot of people who deserve it, but, you know, she should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned, but so should a lot well, of Well, you know, there is no more Rock and to... Roll Hall of Fame. You know that. Yeah, yeah. It's... I mean, it's just uh, more like a Hall of Shame. Uh, well, it's, it's, we call it we call it the Pop Music Hall. And, right. um, it, again, you're, you're dealing with politics and the wrong people are in and uh, people that, that definitely belong there aren't. And right. Timmy is one of them, and there are probably a hundred more uh, that just aren't. Uh, I come the across only person them. That, that's in there that I, I'm very happy about is uh, Ricky Nelson, because you know right. I will forever yeah. have a connection with uh, the Nelson legacy because of my uncle, you know, working right. on the show right. and uh, you know taking but, care of Rick on the road in the 50s and 60s, yeah, and you know yeah. he deserves to be in there. There's a few artists that, that do deserve it. You know that are there, and you know Absolutely. God bless them that they are. But there's so but many. But there's so. But it takes so long uh, to get in. Um, uh, little Anthony and Imperials, it took them all that time. Uh, they right. they put in they put in art, and then in this thing with the taking out Alan Freed's ashes and putting something from Beyonce in there. I, right. I, I don't even deal with with that. I don't usually mention it, but. Again, let's see if we can, can – do you have the uh, address, the, the URL, or anything for GoFundMe that will get the, my listeners to, to this yes, particular you just, place? You can just type in GoFundMe, Timmy Euro. It'll take you right to the page um, where you can make a donation. The minimum donation is $5, and that's not set by me. It is set by the GoFundMe 
website. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody can't just donate a dollar or two dollars. That has to start at five dollars, and then you know it goes up from there. Whatever anybody can give would be so greatly appreciated, not only by myself but Timmy's family um, and her friends and her peers. I know uh, Lou Christie. Uh, who was very good friends with her, you know, told me he wants to do anything he can to help, you know, get her, you know, the star on the walk of fame because he he feels that she deserves that and so much more. So, you know, like I said, you know, I know a lot of people are strapped for cash and everybody has their hand out these days. But if, you know, any of the fans of Timmy's or anybody who just appreciates her music can even just give the minimum donation that GoFundMe requires of $5. Every little bit helps and we'll eventually reach our goal. Well, I'm I'm certainly uh, going to do that. I hope everybody else out there will. And we have a large, large audience that uh, that loves Timmy, and I hope they will give something as well. And, Mike, I have to tell you, I have enjoyed it because, as I said, uh, Timmy was – I only had – you know, I didn't like many female artists. And I right. think it was Connie Francis and – Laverne Baker, of course, and Timmy, and later on I got to I got to like um, Leslie Gore, mm-hmm. who I never appreciated till I saw her on Batman, uh, and it, and from then on that was it. I those are the only female artists I had in my collection, and uh, Timmy, I have most of her stuff uh, from the early years that on liberty most of the mine is from liberty and what a what a, a great singer but what an unfortunate and and uh it's interesting because she died in 2004 right correct right March 30, uh, and i and i started doing my show in 2006 uh that was my first show i'm, I'm about to reach my 10th anniversary and oh, well, congratulations. First, thank you. And I'll tell you, the first record that I had to find for my show was Hurt. Wonderful. And, so that and makes she me was so the happy first, to hear that. And she was the first one I wanted to interview until I found out she had passed. You know, a lot of people didn't know she had passed away until you know a year a year or two later. Um, yeah. Even though it was re- it was reported by most of the the major uh, news outlets, um, you know, it, about a month after the fact. Um, you know, we kept it, it kind of kept it quiet. Um, like I said, it was just it was a sad ending. It, you know, the day she passed is a day that I will never forget. You know, because I was I was so fortunate to have been so close with her for 11 years. And uh, I was probably about the only person that she really talked to about her career. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I got to hear, hear so many stories from her and, you know, about, you know, certain artists that she worked with and, and the songs. And, you know, her daughter, Milan, and I are very close. And she said, you know, my, she said, it, it just makes me, so glad that you had that friendship with my mother because she said, I don't even know her music like you know her music. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even know some of these stories like you know some of these stories. And um, I, we have two fan pages on Facebook I want to mention to your listeners. We have, a fan, we have a fan page that's 
it's just called Timmy Euro. It's one that, you know, you just click like on. We have over 4,000 uh, uh, fans on there. Um, and then we have a group that's a little smaller, a little more intimate, um, called the Official Timmy Euro Fan Club. And I post professional photographs from, you know, photo shoots, I personal photos. Um, I share a lot of, of her music, both the released and the unreleased um, stuff. I have a YouTube channel. My name is Bandstand Mike on YouTube. I have a ton of video performances of Timmy on there. All of her music um, is on there. Um, so people can check, you know, any of those those things out and feel free to join the pages. We would love to have you. Um, I update them you know, two or three times a week and, and post something. Um, and we have very active fans on these pages that um, like to engage and talk. And, and it, it's wonderful. And I enjoy it, you know, so much. And I get to hear from fans. And I've heard from, you know, people who saw her in concert back in the day and tell me these wonderful stories. And it's just, it, it's been such a good time you know, doing these pages on social media and uh, being able to hear things like this. So I invite everybody to, 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 you know, join, join those pages. We'd love to have you there. I'm going to do that tonight myself. All right, Lee, I'd love to have you on the pages. Uh, let me say this, Mike, I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time with us. And I know this is, this is somebody very special to you. And, uh, as she is to me, as she is to a lot of people out there who really, really thought she was one of the best. And, and I thank you, and I, I hope we will continue this when, you, when you're ready with a new album. I want, I want you to come on. I want you to get some cuts for me, and we're, gonna, we're going to do it up big, and we're going to have people know that there is stuff out there, which a lot of people don't have that, you know, uh, network to hear about right. those things. And, and we're going right. to help and, you as much as we can. Well, I, I sure appreciate that, Lee, and I appreciate shows like yours that, you know, where, where you dedicate yourself and your time to remembering artists like Timmy and so many of the greats and keeping the music alive. So I sure appreciate what, what you do, and I, I so appreciate you having me on your show. I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Mike. And i got to tell you one more thing, I, and I always do this when there's somebody. It's always nice. I'm going to go into my old voice now. It's always nice to hear a young whippersnapper who likes old-time rock and roll music. <laughs> well, I would be that young whippersnapper. <laughs> I've been connected yeah, uh, to it all my life. So, you know, I mean, I really do have. I mean, that was back when singers had to rely purely on their talent to make absolutely. it. Absolutely. There was an auto-tune. You know, you didn't have to be half-naked and prance around the stage like an idiot. You just stood in front of a microphone. You used your natural God-given talent, and those artists made some great records and left us with some great music. And uh, I'm just glad that we have shows like yours that, that pay homage to to these, these people, you know. Well, thank you, Mike. And please keep in touch. And I do mean that because uh, we're always available to help and uh, be glad to do anything we can from here. So I, I, well, again, I want to thank you. And uh, remember, send me some more cuts. I got a big show I, coming I definitely, up. I right. definitely will. You're going to be first on my list. Lee, thank you Great. so much. It was such a pleasure thank talking you, Mike. with you. 
been wonderful talking with you. I'll speak with you soon. Okay, Lee. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mike Ianelli, a nice guy with a wonderful mission to save the works and memory of Tim Euro. For everybody here at Old Time Rock and Roll, this is Lee Douglas. That is a wrap. Good night, everybody. There's a land, a land that I've heard of once in a lullaby. Why can't I? Why?